Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, we've got a treat today. Uh, joining me is a former NHL veteran of over a thousand career games and a Stanley Cup champion. It's uh, it's Brett Hedekin. Brett, what's going on, man? Not much, uh, Dmitry. Uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, enjoy uh, some of the things you've done in the past and uh, some of your analytics and, as well. So. Uh, pleasure to be with you. Well, we've been fortunate enough to have some really insightful, well-spoken players come on in the past to, to impart their wisdom on us, but I feel like it's always been either former goalies or forwards, and this is the first time we've ever had a chance to to speak with a former defenseman, so I'm excited because I do think it's a position, in, especially in today's NHL, that I don't think we really discuss enough, or let me rephrase that. I think we discuss it enough, but we don't discuss it with enough nuance or depth because it's a position where it's kind of tough to just say, you know, how many points this guy had or, or, or it's tough to point to one single uh, statistic and, and evaluate how they, how they played on that given night. So um, I, I think there's a lot of nuance here and, and I'm kind of excited for your, your take on it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you look back, uh, you know, when I first came into the NHL in, in the 92, 93 season, um, the game has come leaps and bounds uh, with regard to the, the game of defense as, as far as, you know, what's expected of a defenseman today versus back when I first came to the league and, and just how that, you know, position has changed. I mean, you look at just the overall clutch and grab uh, of when I got into the league. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, you, I mean, I remember trying to, uh, you know, taking a game that I learned, you know, high school, college, and then, you know, the Olympic games and so forth, where you kind of could get up in the play and skate, where I went in the NHL, where I couldn't even, you know, get up in the play because somebody was lassoed around my waist, you know, basically skiing, and I was pulling them up and down the ice. So the game has come a long way from then. Yeah, it definitely has. And I think that, you know... (laughs) we see that often, but it is, it is worth pointing out that, I mean, like your last season, for example, came in, in 2008, 2009. And I think that even since then, um, the game has changed quite a bit and the positional demands have, I mean, if you can't skate and can't keep up and don't have a certain baseline level of puck skills right now, I think that you're going to get exposed pretty quickly. And, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, guys that are mostly used just for fighting in terms of forwards are, are sort of becoming a dying breed in the NHL. But I think that sort of your quote, 
quote unquote defensive def- defensemen who just kind of stay at home and and block shots and throw hits. Those guys are sort of uh, going by the wayside as well. No doubt about it. And if you really look back, I mean, you can almost pinpoint the the time uh, when the when the rules changed in two thousand and four during the the lockout. Um, you know, the, the league came back at that moment and said that we're no longer going to play this clutch and grab. We're going to not allow that stick to get parallel and and hook around the player around the midsection to prevent them from getting up the ice and make the game fast again. And from that point on, if you can really retract, I mean, these kids that saw the game change at that moment were probably seven, eight, nine years old mm-hmm. when those rule changes you know, became in effect all the way down uh, to everybody that played the game of hockey. And so now you're seeing this generation 12 years later, uh, or in some, in some cases, eight years later, uh, you know, somewhere in that gap, if you will, of these kids that are young, anywhere from 18 years old to 24. And they've, they've known nothing else but to, you know, hit the throttle uh, in the defensive zone, get up in the play, add to the attack, be the fourth attacker, and sometimes lead the rush. Um, so you're seeing that generation now, and I love the fact that you know you get the Wierenskis and the Seth Jones and the Hannafins, these young players that are 18 to 20 years old, and sometimes you know that low 20s that are are playing such a different game today on defense than it was when I first came into the game. And so you're right, the game has evolved uh, on defense; it has changed, and you're seeing this new generation of defensemen that have known nothing but get up in the play and to add to that fourth, you know, that attack, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean that, that that's I think a key component of of what defensemen are relied upon these days. I, I've written a lot about it, but just completing breakout passes and being able to uh, start that transition game because it, it's funny. It's hockey is such a free flowing sport, so it's it's really tough to separate defense from offense into two separate components because you know like defending well all of a sudden sets you up for going at, attacking the other way and and so on and so forth. And if you have a you know a weak attack, you're probably going to wind up defending a lot so it's funny seeing how people sometimes try to latch on to one particular skill set but i do think that all this stuff sort of uh comes together as a bunch of different puzzle pieces as one whole thing well yeah i mean you're looking at uh, you know everybody everybody talks about a copycat league and everybody wants to do what the team that just won and you look at the pittsburgh penguins the depth that they had up front uh, they had great goaltending no doubt about it but they also had defense that were real agile and mobile and could could get back there and um and move the puck rapidly and i think you know it's not so much a copycat league i mean for me i'm in agreement with you on the fact that you have to have defensemen all that are mobile you can't really have that defensive defenseman in my view anymore i think all six defensemen that are on your team are capable of being physical are capable of blocking shots doing the defensive defensive work if you will um, but you need those six defensemen to also be able to be mobile back there and to continue to work on thinking the game better, moving the puck more crisply, um, and getting up and activating into the play. Uh, those are the things that I think you know are paramount for any team that wants to compete for a Stanley Cup in today's game and beyond. Because if you, if you don't have defensemen that can do that, um, you are behind big time uh, when it comes to wanting to c- compete today in today's NHL. Yeah, yeah, you're just going to be ch- chasing the game constantly. I, I, I try to wonder, like, what is uh, a defensive defenseman in, in 2016? Is it like a guy like Mark Edward Vlasic, for example? Um, yeah, I mean, he's uh, he would be considered a defensive defenseman, but I, you know, as you can see, he's nowhere near 
uh, a defensive defenseman, but because he can get up in the play, he can play on that second power play unit. He also can activate in the offensive zone, and, and uh, but he's there to shut down the other team's top lines. And why is because he thinks the game quick enough, and he's mobile enough to be able to skate with top uh, players around the league. And so, yeah, I guess he's you know uh, in quotes uh, a defensive defenseman, but uh, not at all. I think he's uh, really the prototypical. Um, defenseman that any team in the league would want uh, not only one player like Mark Edward Vlasic, but maybe two, three, and sometimes four uh, would be nice to have guys like that, but they're hard to find. Yeah, yeah, he seems to be able to kind of just do a little bit of everything. Um, you follow the Sharks closely, and, and I wanted to tie them into this discussion because they've I think they've done a masterful job of assembling their blue line. I think that you know, if they could do the Roman Polak trade over again from last year, I think they would just because, especially in hindsight, after seeing how that was, that third pairing was their most noticeable weakness in the Stanley Cup final matching up against Pittsburgh speed. But now with David Schlemko in the mix, they have six guys, as you mentioned, that can skate, that can move the puck, that can really do at least a little bit of everything. And I think that, you know, if you're looking around the league, I, I, you'd have to add them into the discussion of, of the top defense groups, I think, and, and at least in like the short list of the ha- top handful or so. Oh, no, no doubt about it. And, you know, Dylan DeMello hasn't even gotten in the lineup right now, and they haven't uh, been able to slide him in there. You know, Paul Martin has, you know, gotten a little bit older, and I think, um, you know, there there might be an opportunity for Dylan DeMello to get into the lineup once in a while to give maybe Paul Martin a rest. But you're right. I mean, if you look at really the pinnacle of Brent Burns being – uh, the guy that can do just about anything uh, on offense and defense, and he's hard to play against defensively, but what he can do offensively is incredible. You really build it around him, and Blasic and Braun is really a shutdown pair. And you mentioned Schlemko, who has been really a guy that I've been really impressed with this year, uh, playing with Brennan Dillon, who really worked, you know, coming off a, a short summer playing in the Stanley Cup Finals, getting that experience of playing and some big moments, I think, only helped him be a better player and then realize what he needed to work on. And, and really, he spent the summer working on his skating ability, uh, getting faster and leaner. And boy, it's been noticeable. That that pair of Dylan and, and Schlemko has really played tremendous this season for uh, Pete DeBoer's Sharks. And I think when you have, uh, again, as you mentioned, uh, six defensemen like this that can all be mobile and move the puck, when they are on their game, they're a very difficult team to beat. And you're seeing that on this road trip so far. Obviously dropped one to Carolina last night. But um, but the first three games beating, you know, obviously Tampa Bay in Tampa on a Saturday, beating the Washington Capitals, and then obviously the Florida Panthers as well. So they'll have a tough task tomorrow against the Blues. But uh, nonetheless, when that sixth defense plays the way they're capable of, uh, very difficult team to beat. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'd I'd love to pick Doug Wilson's mind about, or maybe it's a, a group effort between Doug Wilson and, and Coach Pete DeBoer, where it seems like they've prioritized a certain type of player at that position, but then also just the way they play, I've noticed that you know all six defensemen are very aggressive in terms of not letting uh, opposing attackers just waltz into their offensive zone with the puck, especially with complete possession, and that you know Mark Edward Vlasic's one of the best in the league at doing that, but it's really trickled down to the rest of the guys, and yeah, I'm sure it has a little bit of, of Pete DeBoer is doing as well in terms of just like tactics they're, they're preaching because there are good skating defensemen and around the rest of the league that are more willing to sag back and just and just kind of uh, have a, a shell around their goalie as opposed to actually aggressively defending their blue line. Oh, no doubt. I mean, Pete, De, Pete DeBoer is, is so adamant about that is just, you know, attack the puck. I don't care where you are in, in any area of the rink. 
it, attack the puck. If you're forward, you 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 don't have the puck, and you see the defenseman attack them. I mean, somebody has to go at them. But same thing in the defensive zone. They really try to take a man and go after the puck area. Obviously, don't give them the time and space. And when you've got six defensemen that that can all skate the way this crew can, um, it's very easy to to be aggressive. And then obviously, if a mistake is made, you've got people to back you up. But for the most part, you no. Know, Pete DeBoer has done a nice job with this group, and, and obviously uh, him and Tannen with. With Doug Wilson, uh, you know, working together to find guys like Shumko to add in, you know, after uh, the Roman Polak deal last year, and, and and I don't disagree with you too much on that. I mean, I think Roman Polak was definitely needed uh, in that first round, probably against the LA Kings, but mm-hmm. but afterwards they needed somebody maybe more like Schlemko. So right. it's unfortunate they didn't have, you know, t- uh, two guys in that deal uh, that could have played, you know, both roles during the course of different rounds of the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, the playoffs are such an animal in terms of you got to stylistic matchups against whoever you're playing. Um, we've been talking about the Sharks blue line for a while, and we haven't even really mentioned Brent Burns. And I think we'd be remiss to have this discussion without spending some time on him. So, just what's what's it like watching a force of nature like Brent Burns up close on a nightly basis? Well, you just see things that uh, he does that I don't see any other guy in the league do. I mean, he really uh, the way he shoots the puck. Um, and it doesn't take much. It's a it's a wrist shot that he gets the puck off the wall, and he can pull it to the inside down the wall, or he can fake that and go, you know, a little backhand move and back down the the wall and and create offense, you know, driving down um, the the boards. But then you can see him block a shot like he did in Florida the other night and just basically take it all the way in and score the, the score a goal. I mean, he just does so many different things and has so many weapons that uh, it's been just so fun to watch. Now defensively, yeah, people were hard on him, you know, over the last few years. Uh, but he really, the last year, you know, came leaps and bounds uh, in his defensive zone. And, you know, maybe early in this year, got off the rails a little bit, but boy, he settled back down. And when he settles back into his game defensively, everything just seems to happen for him offensively. And uh, you're seeing that, uh, again, take over again this season for Brett Burns. Yeah, I mean, just uh, just last night against the Hurricanes, there was a play in the first period, I think, where he took a pass from from Paul Martin in his own zone, and you could just see the Hurricanes defense kind of relax a little bit just because they, they're used to defensemen kind of slowing down there and regrouping and letting their skaters change, but instead he just saw an opening and he just skated right up the middle and, and got a breakaway and drew a penalty on it. So he just, you know, he has the physical tools, but also the mind to, to just try things that no other defenseman really try to do out there, and, and you mentioned how much he's shooting the puck. We haven't really seen this kind of volume from a defenseman since I think like Bobby Orr in the 70s or Ray Bork in the mid-90s and uh, I think that's a, two pretty good names to be associated with. Well, no doubt and and you know I know exactly the play you're talking about there where he went up the middle obviously and and you're right he just does things that a lot of defensemen aren't expecting a defenseman to do and he's willing to, to give it a shot because he he really has no uh, no boundaries I mean he really doesn't and that's what's been so fun to to watch Brent Burns on a nightly basis, but you're right. The volume of shots right now, leading the league in shots as a defenseman, you know, the last, uh, I think last year he was right up there as well. Um, and this year leading the league. So that's just incredible the way he is able to get, and even everybody knows going into the game, you know, take the shot away from Brent Burns. Don't let him get the puck. Um, but he still finds ways of, you know, navigating that puck to the net and, and uh, a very difficult shot uh, to stop. If you're a goaltender um, through traffic with the velocity that he gets on it from the point. Yeah, and especially with you know if you have a guy like Joe Pavelski out there who's probably the best in the league at, at tipping pucks out of the air, so it just like it's a whole other thing for opposing goalies to worry about. 
Oh, no doubt. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah Pavelski, incredible. I've never seen anybody uh, tip the puck like this guy can do. And you're right, with, with Brent Burns firing, you just got to get in that radius if you're, if you're Pavelski to create a, a pretty darn good scoring chance. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, Brett, a few quick hitting questions uh, around the league before we, uh, before we let you go. Uh, I'm kind of curious. If, obviously, this is a tough question. I'm sure you loved all the teams you played on. But what was the best team you ever played on throughout your career? Um, yeah, tough question because I think, you know, the 94 team in, in Vancouver was, was an incredible group. Um, you know, we lose it in game seven to the Rangers and, and the Rangers had, you know, arguably an incredible uh, team that they manufactured to put together. And we were kind of just a bunch of dogs, you know, just a bunch of guys that were hardworking and, and, uh, you know, took, didn't take no for an answer, you know, I mean, just really that type of personality, a group of guys. So really fun team. And then obviously the 2006 cup team was, you know, the, the greatest team I ever played on just for many reasons. You know, you look at everything on the ice, no doubt, but then the way we worked and trained off the ice, the way we pushed each other in the, in the weight room and, and just uh, how, the demand that we put on each other uh, that way. And then obviously the way we, you know, you love each other I and mean, you love your wives, love each other. You, you, the team does. And, and because you have that love for one another within the group and you care about, you know, making the guys around you the best that they can be, um, you have something spectacular. You have a championship team. And so th- those are the things that really you, you reflect upon. Yeah. You know, it's great to, to be the Stanley cup champion, all those things, but you know what, it, for me, it's almost like, it's good to be able to say I, I played with a group of guys and a group of men that were so great as that. Um, those are the things you remember uh, after your career's over. Yeah, I, it's it's an interesting thing because um, you know there's no doubt that it, it, just on a human element level, like you are gonna if you any workplace if you enjoy being around the people that you spend your entire day with, like chances are you're gonna be happier and, and things are gonna go better and, and work's gonna be more productive. But I, I always wonder, especially in pro sports, where you know it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation because I feel like if your team is really good and you're doing a lot of winning, chances are guys are probably gonna get along even better as well, right? Yeah, the way it is, it's, it's kind of the, the chicken or the egg. I mean, no doubt about that. You know, when you have that sort of caring for one another, yeah, you're going to win games. And then when you win games, you, you care more about each other, but it's more than just that. I mean, you know, culture starts, uh, it doesn't just get manufactured. You have to continue to nurture it and believe in the guys that are in that locker room that are the ones that are really making the difference. Uh, of keeping that and gluing that team together. So uh, the, the the general manager and the coaching staff have to be, have, you know, have to have their fingers on the pulse of that team and, and know the right guys to keep in that locker room and then to add to them as you start to get closer and closer to, you know, potentially winning a Stanley Cup. But it, it all starts with that culture in, internally. The reason why I ask about um, the best team you were on is because you were obviously fortunate enough to make the Stanley Cup final on three different occasions. And I think this is applicable to, to this year's Sharks team, but also the Penguins, where I imagine that if you're playing so late into the summer, uh, you know, it takes a real toll on your body just physically and also just your mind mentally. And then it, I, I imagine it's a lot tougher to come back from day one the next season and, and, and play just considering um, also just like the difference in intensity between, I imagine, the first couple of weeks of the regular season versus what you just played in the in the in the Stanley Cup final oh uh, no absolutely I think all the teams that go you know deep in the playoffs have a, a tough time of first of all letting their mind get away from the game of hockey for a few months and and allowing it to rest 
I mean, that's the biggest thing. The physical rest is something that you can recover pretty quickly. As a matter of fact, a lot of guys probably don't like to take a lot of time off. At least I didn't like to take too much time off physically. But it's that mental grind is what uh, really catches up with you, where you really didn't have a chance to forget about the game of hockey, you know, get the mind back up, wrapped around, you know, an 82-game regular season schedule, and then going on a journey in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I, I think, you know, all these players having, particularly San Jose and Pittsburgh, playing in the Stanley Cup, and a lot of those players having to play in the World Cup and not really having a real normal training camp really threw things off, I think, for a lot of guys this year. And so, you know, a slow start for Pittsburgh, and then they got ramped up. And I think, you know, San Jose had a slow start as well, and, and then now obviously kind of playing more of their style on, on more nightly basis than they did at the start. So very difficult to do. It's that mental grind that it's so hard to uh, to try to fight through. But uh, I think these players are kind of back in the mix now. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you played for a number of different teams and a number of different coaches. And, and one thing I'm curious about uh, is sort of the staying power and longevity for a coach in, in today's league, because we often see that a lot of these coaches are around for a couple of years and then the team starts losing and, and the GM is quick to, to replace them and try to uh, restart things with a new coach. And, and one guy who's sort of had a... Um, an, an, an interesting time towards the end of his tenures in various stops has been Peter Laviolette, who you played under for a number of uh, good years in Carolina. Um, what, do you, just what are your thoughts on that in general in terms of whether like a coach's personality can sort of lend itself to to wearing down players eventually if you just kind of keep going with the same message and don't really change your style? Because we've heard of a guy like Ken Hitchcock, for example, who earlier in his career was sort of like that, but then now in St. Louis has really kind of become more relaxed and, and realize that it is a player's league and, and the guys are younger. So you just sort of need to treat them differently. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, Peter, um, when, you know, he first got to Carolina, um, he had a different personality that I didn't think was really conducive to, you know, listening to players. And I think it didn't go well his first few months, uh, with Carolina, uh, but then after the lockout and being around us over the course of that time, seeing the type of people we were and how serious we were about our job, I think he then changed. I mean, he, I thought he really rec- recognized that we were professionals, that we weren't people that really needed to be poked and prodded to work harder or, or do this and do that. It was more about how can I how can I gather these guys together to make them believe that they're great people and great a great team. And I think I think a good coach can recognize, you know, the weaknesses maybe in the strengths of a group and make adjustments. I think just like a player, um, you know, I think there's not a year that went by, by for me that I didn't look at my own career and say, okay, what was I lacking this year? What do I need to improve on? And and then go take my time in the summer to work on those things. Uh, and that's what allowed me to play over a thousand games. You know, I think coaches have to take that same mentality in the fact that they can't sit there and uh, allow themselves to think that they know it all. And I think that's where a coach will get into some trouble uh, is to think they have all the answers. They don't want to lean on anybody that, around them. And therefore they kind of alienate themselves. And, and in consequence, they get an attitude that is, is almost somebody that uh, uh, is not healthy. You know, ultimately you have to be able to lean on the people around you to, to make them and empower them to be great. And in that trust them that, you know, you've got the right staff around you and that will help you and allow you to be a great coach and to guide the team, tweak them where it needs to be tweaked. I think that's today's game. At least that's what I think it is. And, um, I think Peter Laviolette is, uh, is able and capable of doing that along with others. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. Two final questions. and I'll let you go. Uh, one, I know you're probably pretty biased with this, but is Patrick Marlowe a hall of famer in your mind when he retires? 
Um, yeah, yeah. I think the things that he has done has, uh, you know, the, the numbers that he has put up are, are just incredible. And, you know, I, I like what Patrick Marlowe has done now here the last, uh, you know, this year and, and part of last year where he's accepted a different role. And I think at times in your career, you don't want to accept that that role of, hey, no, I'm no longer maybe a top six forward. And, I, and everybody hates that top six line anyway or or the top forward defenseman and yada yada everybody's important on a team so it's it's brutal to say but i'll say this he has accepted a different role last year at the end of the year and this year and he seems to be thriving at it uh, him and tomas hurdle have i think played tremendous been real consistent this year and the numbers if you really go and break down over the course of his career are just astronomical and yes i, I think he's capable of being a hall of fame player yeah, yeah. The, the I mean, he's, when he when it's all said and done, he's gonna be five hundred goals, a thousand points. It's kind of tough to argue with those. And I understand the longevity versus peak argument, but I've always thought he's a, a player that's been wildly underappreciated. And and you know, you, it, it's interesting because you mentioned how he's adapted to this new role. But I think the the even more impressive thing to me is like if you watch this guy play, he still skates like he's like a twenty five year old. Like guys like him and Jason Chimera just never cease to amaze me how they can keep flawlessly skating so quickly at this age without ever really kind of showing signs of slowing down in that regard listen i i played a long time in this game and i'm telling you what the durability this guy has yeah. I, I mean he doesn't obviously didn't play the same game that i had to play which is on defense and back in the day when you know even today's game where defense gets back there and you're getting hit i mean it's you're not avoiding it um if particularly if you're a defenseman that that goes back and really says hey i'm gonna go back and get that puck first no matter what kind of beating i'm gonna take and that's the type of game i tried to play uh, but that being said, you know, Patrick Marlowe has been incredibly durable over the course of his career. Um, and uh, you have to be able to give him some props for that. Yep. Uh, last question. You can't say Brent Burns here because it's cheating. <clears throat> so the question is, who's your favorite defenseman to, to watch in today's NHL? Um, let's see here. Um, well, I, you know, Eric Carlson from, from Ottawa yes. is somebody that uh, – you know, I mean, again, people, I think, criticize maybe his defensive play, but, you know, Norris Trophy winner. Um, and when you watch him live, I mean, I had the opportunity, I think, a couple of years ago to, to call some games from inside the glass for NBC at ice level. And, you know, I, I think I may have played against him right at the beginning of his career. But that being said, you know, seeing him at ice level and be able to watch this guy, you know, extend shifts, stay out there long. He's got an iron lung somehow and still be able to make plays late in a shift and get up in a play and just provide offense the way he can. He, he's an exciting player for me to watch. But, boy, the young talent right now, guys like Wierenski, Seth Jones, and, and uh, you know, Eklat, and some of these young defense that I just love to watch uh, is, is, is exciting for me as well just to see the game come as far as it has. Yeah, it seems like every night, regardless of who's playing, there's at least one or two guys who uh, stand out in that regard. Um, Brett, thanks for taking the time to uh, to chat, man. Where can people check you out online, and uh, what are you up to these days? Uh, yeah, just at Brett Hedekin uh, is my Twitter handle, and uh, you can find me there. And, and obviously, just doing Sharks uh, Radio and NBC Inside the Glass uh, on occasion as well. And uh, that's where I can be found. Perfect. Well, uh, once again, I appreciate you taking the time to chat, and uh, I'm, hopefully we'll be able to get you back on sometime down the road. You got it. Thanks, Dimitri, for having me. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast.